Welcome to Graphic Policy Radio, where comics and politics meet. This is your host, Elon Eleven, a.k.a. Twitter's Elana Brooklyn. And today we have a special guest joining us to talk about what life is like working in a comic store during the time of COVID. Um, this is something, you know, we're, 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 we are a podcast that believes in supporting the comics worker is of the world and believes in supporting the comics community. And it is really challenging to figure out the right ways to do that in our current environment. And I've also been thinking a lot over the years, like, you know, even when Brett was co-hosting with me, we were like, we should talk to a comics retailer and hear more about what their experience is like. And then it hit me. I've had a comics retailer on my podcast as a guest many times, and we've never spoken about his actual job before. So joining me for a new conversation about a topic that I think comics fans and readers, like, it's sort of our duty to learn more about and understand in the current context, especially, um, we have our returning guest, friend of the show, John Arminio. Uh, John Arminio is a longtime comic book devotee and retailer who peddles his wares at Comics Connection in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. Along with comics, another of his great passions is film, and you can hear him discuss that artistic medium on recent episodes of the podcast Hellbent for Horror, Film 89, and 26 Movies from Hell. Welcome back, John. Thank you, Lana. It's a pleasure to be back. Thank you. It's just so funny like that. We know each other from film nerd stuff before we actually met through comics, despite like me being a comics podcaster, yeah. <laughs> me being a comics realtor person. Um, how did you get started working in a comic shop? Um, I, I was just a customer. Yeah, I, just, I made the transition from customer to uh counter monkey i i was just really unsatisfied at my job which was another retail job and so you know i just asked uh, my manager who later became one of my dearest friends you know can i start working here and I, we at that point we had a pretty you know good relationship that went a little bit beyond just you know a uh, customer retailer and and she really um i think was an advocate for me working there and and that was um probably April of 2015. And mm. uh, I've been wor- working at Comics Connection ever since. Oh, wow. That's really great. So you were originally a regular. Yeah. And that was your... Um, have you... I You referred to yourself as a, as a counter monkey, and I don't know that I've heard anybody else with that term before. Yeah, I, th- I think because we, you, we do so many th- things a- a- individually a- as like a small business and as a comic book retailer that like clerk seems kind of not accurate. And especially now we don't really have a manager. Uh, so we, we kind of uh, have defaulted to calling ourselves uh, counter monkeys, um, you know, uh, to sort of, you know, self-deprecating to hide our, our pride, I guess. Yes. And you, you should indeed have pride. Um, so you guys are, you know, you guys are like a pretty established, beloved uh, comic book shop in the community. Yeah, um, this would be our thirty-second year in operation, and at the location that I'm at, we've been there about fifteen years. That's so cool. How many people work at the shop? Um, 
the we actually have we have two locations. The one I work at is in Mechanicsburg. The other one is in York, which is a little bit south of us. They kind of have a rotating cast of people down there of like four or five people. Um, at my shop, we just have a core a group of three people, and along with the two owners who who come in and and, and work at the shop uh, to fill fill in the gaps. So and so and that's nice because then the owners are sort of forced to interact face to face with with the customer cut with the customers which I, is not the case even with a lot of small businesses. That's true. I don't know that I know the owners of um, the store that I have my pull list from. Uh, definitely know all the managers, mm-hmm. but uh, and they are all lovely individuals. But yeah, I don't know the owners. Did you grow up being a comic book shop regular yourself? Uh, no, I didn't go to comic book shops very regularly because I think my comic book consumption was pretty irregular. Like I would just... You know, when I was a kid, I would just sort of beg my parents for comic books when, when I could, and I would sort of like leech off of my cousins and my uncles who were also mm-hmm. in the comic books. And then you know, when I got older and you know discovered, you know, things like Watchmen and V for Vendetta and the, the kind of standard literary graphic novels, then I started consuming graphic novels and you know discovered Ed Brubaker and and, and that kind of thing. And so it wasn't until um, a few years before I started working there that I actually started, you know, getting a pull list and getting and, and, and getting comics in their, you know, serialized form. Ah, okay. Yeah, I was like a regular purchaser of trade paperbacks to the point where the people at the store knew who I was mm-hmm. for years before I became someone with a pull list in a box. Yeah, it was the same for me. I, I guess because I, at the time, I just preferred to like consume a story in one block rather than have, have mm-hmm. to, to wait for it. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that gave me a good basis for the, the difference between telling a good graphic novel story and telling a good comic book story, because I, I do think they're two separate disciplines and you can kind of tell when a comic book is being told in what should be a graphic novel form, um, but spaced out in, uh, you know, monthly installments, whereas I think something like, like, I don't know, like um, Tom King's Vision comic was an example of how to tell, like, one one story in 12 chapters that could be easily split into uh, into monthly installments without it being, like, confusing or having to, like, go back and read. No, wait, wait, what, what? Because hmm. I, I, I think, you know, being a retailer, I, I've taken upon myself to read as much as I can week to week. And so, you know, reading like 40 to 50 issues a week is a lot like wow. to, to, to try and take in. And so I appreciate it when I don't feel lost, <laughs> but opening up a page and feel, feeling like I, I, I missed an issue. Because I'd feel like kind of an idiot if somebody mm-hmm. says, well, what's going on in Spider-Man this week? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't read that. I mean, that is not an unusual experience at a comic book shop, depending, you know, who you talk to or what. But Well, I, I don't want it to be a regular experience at my comic book shop. Excellent. Um, it's funny because you know, the only reason that I started buying floppies was because of this podcast. I realized that if I wanted to be able to cover certain stories and happenings 
in a timely fashion, in a timely fashion, I would have to uh, like start getting single issues and not be trade waiting. Um, and then I also started to be like, oh, right, there's like a million and one Kevin Wada variant covers that I could now buy and frame yeah. and put on my wall in my hallway, which is the other thing I do. Um, but I was not, I'm but like, if I, I don't think that, I think if I didn't, if I didn't do this podcast and there weren't a lot of Kevin Wada variants, I probably wouldn't be a monthly floppy comic reader. Um, so I'd love to know, like, uh, you know, the uh, comic stores these days, they stock a ton of trades and they stock a ton of the comics. Like you kind of are in it for, for both of them, but like the business model of retailing floppies is brutal and hard. You know, what is the significance of it for you? Like, what do you think is important about it for a medium or for business, et cetera? Yeah, it is It is incredibly difficult because there's very little returnability on comics the way there is at bookstores. So we have to sort of estimate but like at least two months out what we think we're going to sell of a specific title. So how are we supposed to know if issue three – of a certain series is going to sell if we haven't even gotten issue one on our shelves yet. That's incredibly difficult. But yeah. the, the bread and butter of most brick-and-mortar comic book retailers is, like, <laughs> issue one of a series. So we we have to stock enough of issue one to try and bait people or whet their appetite enough to keep them coming back for issues two through infinity or if, if you're Marvel two through eight. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, if, if that, and so w- with that, you know, there's also a steady stream of things like YA graphic novels, um, the, the back issues that we take in, uh, or the, the trade paperbacks of ongoing series. Because, yeah, we do have regular customers who just like, okay, every Avengers graphic novel or every Avengers trade paperback, give me that. Or every Ms. Marvel graphic novel, uh, put that on my pull, pull list. I, I don't want any 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 floppies. So it's – we just have to try and balance uh, everything out because – and, you know, there's – plenty of customers who come in every Wednesday to get their pull list, you know, get their, you know, two to tw- – 20 uh, comics that they're getting that week and you know that's become uh, a, a ritual for them and so we try and cater to to everybody yeah i mean but with the whole thing is pre-orders um the whole pre-order system where you know you guys have to buy a certain number of comics or else the comic will get canceled is just yeah. the most insane system and worst design system one could possibly develop you know, it leaves retailers incredibly vulnerable. It's bad for creators. Like my friend had a series for a big two company that was canceled uh, before anybody had even read a single issue, just based on pre-order. Yeah, that, that happens. Like, yeah, that happens a lot, especially when it's a character that's not a marquee character. Yeah. So, so if you're gonna have a comic book about Jane Foster or or Prowler or or hood or something mm-hmm. you you have to know that it's not going to hit the shelves like a bolt of lightning so if you're going to bother hiring artists and writers and editors and printing 
a series and buying ad space, you really should at least give it 12 issues to try and develop a fan base and and market it. Or like, why bother? Uh, yeah, you, I don't get it. Yeah, there's you're not gonna. People aren't gonna aren't like. Nobody's gonna buy the Inferior Five miniseries based off of the 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 name. You need to get people. I mean, in, interested. If you're listening to this podcast, yes, maybe. I was gonna say, like, but, I totally <laughs> would, depending who the creative team is. But yeah, that's the yeah, thing. Yeah, like I based on who the creative team is. Me, me like, too. Me too. Because I appreciate art. <laughs> like, I'm here for art. I'm not here for a brand. And I guess a lot of people are ultimately about a brand, but, like, I don't know. I, yeah, th- I, I, <sighs> that, that is frustrating. Um, like, there's customers that just don't want DC or they just don't want Marvel or they don't want any independent stuff or they don't want superheroes. And yeah. it's, it's kind of like, but these are great stories. Look at this amazing art. I I don't understand why. Like, like for me, you know, one of my favorite mm-hmm. writers is if just is Jeff Lemire, and he can go from writing superheroes to Essex County or or Roughneck or whatever, and and to see somebody have that sort of mutability in their work makes me excited for their next project. Um, and so. One of my proudest moments was getting was getting a customer who had just exclusively DC for decades, and I finally got them to read Jeff Lemire's Black Hammer because it's it's a riff on Justice League, and mm-hmm. it's like thank thank God. So, but so this the, my one yeah. breakthrough with this customer was read this because it's like Justice League. Um, so you know. As much as I love comics, I see a lot in fandom where people get in the spaces that they're comfortable and not venturing out uh, in ways that I think they would find a lot of joy in. And and but on the other hand, there are plenty of people who are incredibly open to to new stories, and so that's always gratifying when I when I get to share my love of the art with, with those people. Yeah, I mean, I imagine, you know, one of the big joys of being a comic book retail person is, like, you get to evangelize. That's, like, what you're there to do, right? Yeah, and, um, yeah, yeah, like, a little bit ago, somebody says, you know, I'm, I'm interested in historical comics. And so I took her over to where the that display was, and, and it turned out she hadn't even read M- Mouse before. And I was like, yes! Awesome. Hmm. Re- read this immediately, please. And <laughs> and and so you know, for me, like I, I don't ever want to intimidate somebody because they haven't read something. Like if somebody comes into my store having never heard of Superman, to me that's exciting because I get to introduce that person into this wonderful world that that I inhabit every day. And so I'm I look forward to new readers who who aren't familiar with the superhero side of things or to the graphic novel side of things or, or even to maybe they're all of a sudden interested in, in where Captain America came from and I can show them a Golden Age collection, which would be awesome. Hmm. Yeah. What is – actually, here's 
I, you know, I used to work at a bookstore, um, but I never worked in a comic bookstore. Although I actually, I tried to get employed by St. Mark's Comics and they told me that they pay below minimum wage and that I was too smart to work there. Um, I actually just now debated whether or not I should say either of those things out loud because that sounds like an asshole thing. But I was like stunned and confused. And I was just out of college. I was like, should I report these people to the Department of Labor? Like, I don't understand. And this was like when I was just first starting to see women employed at comics stores in the first place, right? But I was like, how can you, like, why would you tell me that you're breaking the law? And why would you tell me that you think your employees are, like, dumb, um, so I guess that's why I never worked in a comic book store. Yeah. Um, my, my lone attempt was foiled by like completely, I just, I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm stunned thinking about this right now, well, but, um, I, I'm, well, fortu- the, yeah, sorry, I'm, fortu- I'm fortunate in that both my owners and my manager who, who hired me were very adamant that, the people who are employed at Comics Connection know what they're talking about, and yeah, are, are able, yeah, are are friendly with customers, are able to talk about comics, are able to introduce people t- to comics, and are not the stereotypical stereotypical comic book store employee. Like we don't want comic book guy at at the counter, and it, it shouldn't smell weird. Things should mm-hmm. be things should be easy to find. Um, I know every comic book store has a different organizational style. They have different focuses. Um, but I should be able to at least tell you where the Iron Man back issues are and be able to tell you where the the Disney comics for kids are. And they should be easy for people to, to search through. And we're, we should be able to use our brains uh, on, a, on a daily basis and make the customers feel welcome. So what is the most gratifying experience that you get to have, like selling comics and like people coming in asking, like somebody asking for help, trying to figure out, make a choice shopping. Like what are some of the more gratifying experiences you've had with that? Uh, Yeah. When I'm able to convince somebody um, that to to buy something and then hearing back that, uh, that they had a good experience with that. Like, uh, recently uh, sold the Superman uh, Up in the Sky uh, miniseries, and they came back and they told me it made them cry. Um, I had somebody who came in, and I convinced him to buy Descender uh, for his wife, and then he came back the next day and bought the rest of it because his wife read it in, in one sitting and enjoyed it so much. So, So to be able to... Or to, like, change people's expectations of of comics and to be like, to show them pumpkin heads and, and be like, you know, well, here is a, uh, a bisexual woman of colors is in this comic book. You should mm-hmm. read it. Uh, <laughs> so, so, you know, uh, I'm able to, I, I, I sold a Ryan North graphic novel to some guy who was decked out in don't tread on me gear. Like, whoa, <laughs> shit's wild. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. That, that kind of stuff is, is fun. And it's really, uh, it's really rewarding. 
I actually, I would say we, my comic, my comic book store, I go to Forbidden Planet in New York City and Forbidden Planet New York City is staffed by tons of women, people of color and queer people and queer people of color and queer women, like not the stereotypical comic book store dudes. Right. Yeah. And there was one guy who came in once who had like a MAGA hat on yeah, and he bought pink Power Ranger comics. And I was like, we were, I was, I was thinking, I was like, how can you come into this store in Manhattan in a MAGA hat in front of like queer people of color and like then think that you're not like terrorizing people, but then also you just bought the pink Power Ranger comic. Like none of this makes any sense. Yeah, I get, I think because of uh, my location. Uh, yeah, geogra- you have a different ge- Geographically, audience, you know? yeah, there is, I think, but there's more of that cognitive dissonance, at least for me, because like I know the demographics of central Pennsylvania. And so every time I sell an an X-Men graphic novel to somebody with, you know, the the Blue Lives Matter sticker on their on their car, it's like, but but what? But why? <laughs> I don't I like I, I don't understand. Um but you know, I think because of the environment we create in the store, we we do attract um, just a, a more progressive audience than our region w- would have you think. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that and and so I, I don't feel <laughs> I don't feel terrorized by by MAGA hats, but I, I but I also I, I I can't I can't be hostile to, to people. Yeah, no, you can't. Yeah, yeah. That's so the challenge of retail. Yeah, and so I I like to think that I'm I'm at I'm I'm friendly to everyone, uh, and and I I can't be I can't be judgmental I, you know, and so. But yeah, I I do, sometimes, you know, I, I do honestly struggle to understand, how these stories of people fighting for their freedom, and you know bucking up against authority don't affect people who wear MAGA hats. Like, you you know, like, Captain America was, like, nomad for a long time. (laughs) You know what I mean? I mean, I know. Yeah. I don't think they know. Yeah. Right? But but, but regardless, I mean, to me, sort of the example would be mostly be X-Men, because the entirety of X-Men is all about this, and yet there are still some fans who don't. But we know, like, I've had lots of cis, white, heterosexual men be like, I learned about you know, like I learned to sympathize with 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 oppressed people by reading X Men. Like, yeah. so it worked for some folks. You know, um, it, it did work for some. Um, are there like particularly complicated challenges you've had with somebody looking for a particular thing and trying to figure out like what in God's name it was, and then realizing, oh my God, it was this? Um. Yes. <laughs> that's that's actually that's actually very common. Like I yeah yeah like I I what well, what was I was in here and I was looking at this comic and I didn't buy it but and it was it was blue. There's a blue guy on the cover. Like I I just get that a lot and it turns out to be Spider Man or, or or something. Just, what? <laughs> um, Spider Man was blue. I thought that was yeah, Superman yeah, that yeah, was yeah. blue briefly. <laughs> yeah. So, but you know that's uh, that's. I'm sure people who, you know, work like at at Walmart, at, you know, there's yeah, people, people so, going yeah. to like, where's the 
the thing with the the movies. I don't know, you know, the movie with that guy. Uh, so, or like, you know, somebody trying to, to figure out like who drew a specific issue, but they don't remember right. the, the issue number. So that that takes that that always takes some time. But I think it's also part of my job to sort of like intuit what they're what they're talking about. And, oh yeah, and so no, it, I always enjoyed that about yeah. when I was working at the bookstore was like figuring out what was the thing they were trying to find. Yeah. And, and I, I relate to that. I've Lord knows I've been that person, you know. <laughs> and, and I think that's one of the advantages of the, trying to consume as many comics as, as I do because if if they have like if one specific panel in mind is burned in their head and I can remember what they're talking about, then hopefully I can be like, oh, okay, that was from the Spider-Man Sins Rising Prelude one shot, not the ongoing series so that's why it's not in the pile over there that's amazing yeah yeah no we just we just have to know these sorts of things it just like lives in your head and people ask yeah and and, well and i'm always like incredibly every day that i talk to either my former manager or or the one owner who's their comic book Knowledge is absolutely encyclopedic. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, just well, when did Hal Jordan do this? Oh, that was in 1973, and this issue. And I'm like, Jesus Christ! So yeah. I, I always, yeah. ha- I always have uh, people to look up to and and uh, brain power to to admire. So m- my my comic book knowledge is minuscule compared to them. Yeah, it's definitely amazing. I um. I just needed to confirm some facts about Paste Pot Pete a minute ago. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's some people who would not need to confirm these facts. So, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to chat now is like, it's so complicated to understand, like, what is the right way for us, uh, for, for people to engage with retail? Like, am I helping somebody by going to the store? Am I risking their life when I go to the store? I mean, like, we all know that the ideal situation would be Everybody will be paid by the government to stay at home unless they're like, you know, a doctor or a nurse. And we could stay at home safely until the virus stopped spreading, which would be very briefly because we wouldn't even need to stay home that long. We'd be able to actually do a little shutdown and all that. But because we don't live in a functioning society, we live in the hell world, um, we have to go back to work. Yeah. Well, so for for people who are doing retail, like... What are the what are the ways that those of us who have the option of going a place or not going a place, you know, like how how do we support you? I, I mean, especially for well, Pennsylvania has actually been as a state um, pretty good about uh, COVID regulation. Our our, our governor, um, who's like a responsible human being. And, and, a, and a Democrat and you know, not somebody like Cuomo who loves to see himself on, on TV um, right. ha- has it has instituted some pretty good um, not all not always but better than most places some pretty good like restrictions on like um, occupancy and and things like that and mandated mandated mask wearing and so our our not, our COVID numbers have been have been uh, better than not as good as they should be but but better than most places. Um, so I, so if you just wear a mask, 
It, holy hell. It, and thankfully, I think one of the advantages of working in a comic book store, a, a small business, a place where we know our customers is that I don't have the experience of customers viewing me as subhuman. Mm. And and that's something that um, some of my friends have experienced. You see that in a lot of the videos on the internet. You, like nobody's ever said to me, yeah, but nobody's here, um, which I yeah. you hear a lot. Because I, I because I have such a relationship with my customers because you know we have a lot of repeat business. I am viewed as a human being, which I'm privileged to, and I know that a lot of retailers don't have that experience. So I would right. say treat the retailer like like a person. Um, and if you don't want to wear a mask, then do curbside pickup. Uh, Comic book stores have been doing that since March, um, and and do that as much as possible so we can keep uh, in store traffic down. Yeah. What and one of the incredibly frustrating things about doing this during COVID is the situation with the post office, because when things first shut down, we were like, "Hey, we'll mail you your comics," and that worked out for a long time. And some of our customers were just incredibly generous. They could have gone to Amazon. They, they could have just stopped buying their comics, but instead they made they made it a point to call us and say, "What do you have on your shelves? What can I buy from you right now?" And that was incredibly re- rewarding and almost like inspiring to hear that our customers care about our business that much. Um, but mm. now our ability to do that is severely hampered by what's going on with the post office and we have we've had a couple pretty significant orders that have just not shown up they haven't been officially declared lost by the post office but uh it's been a month they're somewhere wow and they're not with us and they're not with our customer and so that's been real fucking frustrating I guess the comics I ordered through you were months and months ago at this point, but they did come right in. I have my um, Meg Mogan Owl trade hexed trade paper. uh, No, hardcover came in all nice and perfect. Well, thank thank you. you, Thank you for ordering from us. I really appreciate it. I mean, because I guess I was thinking like on balance, would you rather for people to call the store and get curbside pickup basically would be like the best thing for you guys, basically. I mean, health wise. Yes. But part of the reason that we are able to exist as a store is that when people go into a comic book shop, they like to snoop around. They, they explore. They, They, if you're looking for, you know, Incredible Hulk 153 through 175, but we have, like, you see, oh, you, ha- you have an Incredible Hulk 122 in twice as good condition as the one I have at home, I'll buy it. Or or people who are just looking for random graphic novels. Like, I, somebody was in today looking for, like, Lady Mechanica. We didn't have it. <clears throat> And was able to sell them on Becky Clunan's By Chance of Providence just because, I don't know, I, I thought they might like it. And they did. And they bought it. And so if we did curbside pickup, those sales would be non-existent. And I honestly don't know if we would be in business anymore. Okay. See, that's what I'm wondering, right? You're not going to get impulse buys that yeah. way. Yeah. 
and and you know plenty of people who come in every Wednesday and get their pull list, they'll always get two to five books off the wall that they don't normally normally get. And so if we only did Krupps at Pickup, we wouldn't get any of that either. Right. Hmm. Hmm. That is that is a that is a really good point. Yes, yeah, so I am. Um, I yeah. yeah. So I, I if if the postal service was functioning the way it should, um, if well, you know, if if the CDC was functioning the way it should, maybe we'd, <laughs> we'd be out of quarantine by now. So you know, yeah, woulda, coulda, shoulda, I guess. Yeah. Um. So you do still want people to come in and browse, but keep their masks on and keep a distance. Yes, please. Do you have problems with nose people though? Because like one of my big problems are like the nose people, by which yeah. I mean people whose nose are hanging out. Like, how do you handle that? Yeah, I, I just have to ask people to please put their mask above their nose. And it's, you can tell that in their face that they know that they should do that. And so they just, it, it's like a teenager thinking they're getting away with like wearing a hat in class or something. It, it, mm. it just such as like a juvenile behavior. Um, That's what I've been wanting to know is, is do they know? Because I did encounter one person in the wilds who didn't know, but I also figured that like, I, I don't know. The, yeah. the, there are people who say like, oh, sorry, I didn't realize, but I don't know how that's possible. Um, but yeah, I, I've only experienced a couple, a couple instances where somebody just refused to wear a mask. That's rare. It's just much more common as somebody who um, is, it's like it's just around their mouth or around their chin or whatever. I just had to ask them and then they'll do it. They might look at me funny, but whatever. I can, I can handle that. I, nobody's screamed or spat at me. So. Thank God. Yeah. It's, It's scary. We, I'm used to strange characters um, as a comic book retailer. But there, there was this one guy who I've only seen him a couple times, but he spouted conspiracy theories quite often. He was friendly about it, and it was oftentimes conspiracy theories that um, I had never heard before. Like, he wasn't a flat earther, but he believed that the sun revolved around the earth. Like, okay. Um but he did, he did like physically threaten me uh, when I asked him to wear a mask. So that was an experience. Like it, it was not something that wow. I, I had like thought would happen in a comic book store. But after that, he left, and he, I haven't seen him since. So cool. I hope he doesn't come back. Um, yeah. But so other than like somebody who is possibly mentally ill, yeah, I haven't had any any scenes or anything like that. So nothing like the videos you've seen on the internet. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, yeah, good point of information that the nose people know that they're wrong because I have encountered one who didn't, but I thought that could have been an outlier. Um, are folks having, are you having an easy time getting like decent PPE for yourself to maintain around the reg? Um, y- yeah, it's, you know, it's hard because everything is always out of stock and, 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 and that kind of thing like at, at stores. Um, but I'm, I've I've always been good about keeping sanitary just even before <laughs> COVID times. Like I always had hand sanitizer. I wash my hands as frequently as I can. Um, I always have like a spare mask in my car. So all the, all that kind of stuff is is taken care of at least 
from from my perspective. That's good, yeah. I remember the days of literally conserving like my disposable. Actually, I do still do conserve my disposable gloves in a hardcore way, but um yeah. Some things were a bit easier to access now than they had been. So Obviously, you guys had those months, and what, what months were it where the comics weren't coming? I don't even. It was. I couldn't. I was so busy with work, I could barely keep up understanding the situation. Yeah. How, it, how, how was that whole thing? It was from I think like the last week of March to like the middle of May. So it was a good six weeks that comics were just not coming out. So yeah, for, for anybody who who doesn't who out there doesn't know why. Um, the main, the distributor of basically all comics in America is called Diamond. Uh, they closed their doors, uh, when, you know, the country was shut down, which, you know, all things being equal was probably a good decision for the health of humanity. Um, but mm-hmm. that, that means that, uh, Marvel, DC, Image, Dark Horse, etc. uh, couldn't get their comics to store. So basically all publications stopped for about six weeks. And then the comic books just kind of started coming out again, uh, just like the rest of America just decided quarantine was over. And so, hey, here we are. Um, but, you know, along with that, uh, DC severed their ties with Diamond. Um, and that was before even the layoffs happened. And so we had to then, well, every single comic book store in America had to then get a new account with another distributor. Um which is fun to do when we're trying when every comic book store in America is trying to salvage their business after being shut down for six weeks. So there's just kind of like stressor on top of stressor on top of uh, stressor. So it, it was it was a frustrating time. Hmm. Do you think that like people kept saying like, oh, comics can't come back from this. And I was like, what? I don't even understand. Like most people are getting their comics through like Scholastic. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah. 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 You know, some of the, the best selling comic books of the last decade are, you know, like My Hero Academia and, and, you know, and what Randall Telgemeier's writing. So we're, I guess it's, I don't, I don't want to be like a, a, self-victimization or, or whatever. But I think comic book stores are, have always been on, on the margins, at, at least since the early 90s. Um, mm-hmm. And comic books have been dying since the 1950s. So if you're smart... Well, I, I don't know about that. We're selling physical media in 2020. Like, we're gluttons for punishment. So hmm. uh, we're... And we love what we're selling... We want to stay in business, uh, and we're not gonna die. Like th- this is, and because of how hard me and my coworkers work, and how much we love what we do, we've ma- made inroads and connections in- into the community, and so people support us, and and that's really gratifying. Um, I, and I I do think that comic book stores that have failed just haven't been able to do that like there's there's have been comic book stores in the area that have closed because they treated their customers very poorly um and and we're really beholden to the comic book store stereotype that they weren't fun places to be they were dark and dingy and and we tried to not be that um but yeah a lot of places have done everything that they could 
um, made all the smart decisions, um, treated their employees and their customers great, uh, of businesses of all types, and failed because of the the economic the economic situation of America in 2020 and COVID. So it it's in some ways it's it's a crapshoot, and, and you know that's tragic, I, I think. But you know, luckily we're still here, and luckily we're still selling comics, and I think great comics are still coming out. Well, and I hope you'll continue to do that forever and ever. Me too. So I want you to sell me some comics right now. Um, I uh, I guess I should say it's going to be like they have to be trades, but like no, I'm not going to make you do that. Um, I want you to sell me some comics. You kind of you basically you've been on my best comics of the year 2019 episode. I feel like you have a pretty decent understanding of my taste and things. Um, if I wanted to add a couple of cape books to my pull list, what should I be grabbing? Uh, are you reading Tom Taylor's Who's Head Squad? I am. Uh, it's okay. like you know me. Yeah. <laughs> but like yeah. you didn't tell me, yeah. just to be clear, folks, I didn't tell him I was reading this. It's just okay. like, yes, he knows what I yeah. like to read. That That's, that's been good. Um, and uh, yeah, Jimmy Olsen has has just ended. Yes. Oh That's god, my that was fucking favorite. So good. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's been D D C man. Uh, it's been uh, <laughs> it's been incredibly frustrating reading this. Like, this is the only this is the only book that I'll just openly trash. But Dark Knight's Death Metal is. <sighs> fucking garbage like i I, bless you i hate it so much (laughs) um so anything not that um i mean basically i asked i asked you this question before i'm not i asked you about dark knight's i was like i said john tell me is dark knight's black metal metal at all and you were like no and i'm like oh i knew it well i'm very happy i'm not reading if if i say Uh, yeah but what if Batman was a dinosaur and you think, oh, fucking cool. That's the comic for you. Is there a plot? No. But Batman has spikes on a costume sometimes. Uh, I mean, we already know that Batman was a dinosaur in Batman, yeah. Batman Odyssey, where he found that Robin that had like a dinosaur, Tyrannosaurus type mouth for some reason. I, I, From the Neil Adams, the, the infamous Neil Adams series. Yeah. But um, but yeah, no, Batman metal, whatever is not actually metal. What's a comic I should be reading? Oh, uh, I really been. I've actually been really liking the Ant Man miniseries. That was a lot of fun. Oh, uh, though it was. I Scott, didn't know about that. Yeah, it was Scott Lang and his, it's a five issue miniseries. Scott Lang and his daughter fight a, a gi- gigantic insects. So you got some father daughter family bonding. Scott Lang has an inferiority complex. Uh, it's funny, and you you get some cool personification, uh, or of the uh, of the actual ants that Scott Lang is is controlling. That's been uh, great. Um, Captain Marvel and uh, and the Star Series by Kelly Thompson have been great. Oh, interesting. They have. Yeah. I I have not like read any of that for a very long time. What's what's the deal with it? Uh, so. Uh, Star 
was a reporter who somehow obtained the uh, reality stone and has been experimenting with it to see how much it can power her. And she has a vendetta against uh, Carol Danvers. And so they've had this kind of uh, tit for tat going on in between the two series. And so that's been very fun. Um, I have actually, oh, the, the new Spider-Woman has been great. Uh, it's great to see Jessica Drew back. I love Jessica Drew. Who's yeah. writing that? Um, it's somebody I've never heard of before. I'm sorry. I, I can't remember her name. I'm going to Google it. Yeah. But it's by a woman. That yeah, would yeah. definitely fix some of the concerns I had about yeah. the most recent one. Um, ah, it's by Carla Pacheco. Yeah. Um, and illustrated by Pere Perez. Yeah. So it's a creative team I haven't heard of before. So that's, that's fun and exciting. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, uh, Hawkeye Freefall was a real fun uh, miniseries. Um, Clint Barton uh, was a big personal garbage fire, as he should be. Uh, <laughs> Immortal Hulk is still um, great. That's That series is fucking bonkers. Al Ewing is juxtaposing, like, real theological questions with body horror. Uh, it's good. Um, oh, yeah. People have been trying to tell me about that series for a long time. Yeah. Um, the, uh, I've been really enjoying the Empire event from Marvel. Um, it's fun. Space war. Kree, scrolls, plant people. All, all that fun hmm. stuff. Um, and if he, uh, and also, like, uh, Mark Russell has been writing this miniseries called Billionaire Island. Uh, where... Oh, Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's not a Kate book, but I just felt like plugging it because it's about. Please, no, I've, I've. It's definitely along the lines of the kinds of things that I would usually be interested in. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's about um, peace billionaires building an island for just themselves, and then um, people trying to either escape the island because they were the poor people imported to work there, or because this guy is trying to get has a vendetta against them and wants to murder them. Uh, so yeah, Mark. Anything by Mark Russell has an angle that you wouldn't expect. And it always turns out to be really fantastic. Like he did a 12 issue wonder twins maxi series. That was all about the injustice of the American uh, penal system. Uh, yeah. It's, that's it was, amazing. It's, it's outstanding. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I enjoyed, um, what's his name? The cat, the pink cat. Tennessee Williams. Uh, oh yeah, exit, exit states yeah. Snagglepuss. Yeah, that was that Snagglepuss, was awesome. Yeah, you. yeah. So I believe that. Yeah, I've heard good things about Billionaire Island. That's from Ahoy Comics, right? Yes. Yeah, they've been doing some really uh, interesting stuff. They oh, they did um, any me being Catholic uh, and Mark Russell. They did uh, Second Coming uh, a few months ago. Uh, that wrapped up almost right before COVID. But that was about what would happen if Jesus. Uh, came back into a world where there actually are superheroes and how would he interact with people whose purpose or whose way of being a good guy is, is punching people in the face uh, and how he would be sort of oh. – how he would be kind of confused by that uh, sort of morality and how would he like try and bring his message to to that world and how he would probably – find himself getting put in prison, him being a, a hippie communist, that that kind of thing. Got it. Yeah, no, he's definitely big into the satire piece. Yeah. And um, 
unsurprisingly, you know, supporting like an actual like lefty interpretation of Jesus. Um, Cool. Well, um, thank you for selling me some comics. And again, I am impressed by your ability to immediately name two comics that I love and am reading uh, without me telling you. Um, Actually, for listeners, if you'd like to learn more about Superman's pal, Jimmy Olsen, I did indeed have Steve Lieber on the show a while back to talk about the series. But I have not been able to cover, um, I've not been able to cover Suicide Squad yet. So maybe someone from that team might be interested in joining me. Mm. Yeah, Tom Taylor, he's another writer that's been like really doing some great work with things that I would not expect. Like he did a Deceased and the subsequent miniseries after that where, oh, the whole DC universe is zombified. And I went into that like, what is this bullshit going to turn into Marvel zombies but DC? And it's it's way better than you would expect. Um, I, I was really impressed with that series. So if you're interested in superheroes doing horror stuff, then uh, Deceased by Tom Taylor is, is where it's at. Awesome. Yeah, I've heard really good things about Injustice and have not read any of that stuff. But um, I really liked his all-new, all, et cetera, et cetera, Wolverine. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he, he nailed X-23. And so that's... Actually, that's been one of my frustrations with uh, the Hickman X-Men run is that I haven't seen Laura Kinney in any substantial way. And when it and when we have seen her, it seems like she regressed to like Laura Kinney from like 10 years ago or something. And because I really got – we really got some great character development with Tom Taylor's run and it seems like that's been forgotten, um, which happens a lot when franchises mm-hmm. are, are rebooted. But, you know, you – fall in love with a character for how she developed. And then that's been swiped away for uh, long-term corporate plans. Yeah. Well, thank you for giving me some pro tips of what I should be buying. And um, actually, before I go, when when you have someone wander into the store mm-hmm. with not a clue of what they want to read other than the fact that they should they want to check out comics like how are how do you get them started pointing in a useful direction uh, i i try and kind of suss out why they're here or why they're in my store if they came because they saw a movie i could say well here's where that movie came from or here's stories that inspired that film uh, if they came here because of a discussion for a friend, uh, I might ask them what stu- characters they like to read, maybe what TV shows they like to watch, what genres they're interested in. Um, because I could point them to a Western comic that's fantastic, like Undone by Blood, which is a mini series that, that just wrapped up. I can point them to crazy science fiction, or I can point them to uh, Miles Morales, and and, and so it. it I just kind of have to. I just kind of have to understand, you know, what what brought them here in the first place if they're unfamiliar with, with comics, and then we can, you know, go from there. Well, thank you for joining us, John. Tell our listeners where they can best stalk you on the internet. You can stalk me and my nerd ramblings uh, at Quasar Sniffer on both Twitter and Instagram, and you can find Comics Connection on Facebook or at uh, ComicsConnection.com. 
Uh, if you're ever in central Pennsylvania, come to my store. I will sell you comic books. And I, you always have your recommendations of the week on your Twitter account, too. I do. You can see my goofy-ass face uh, behind a mask. Uh, I am smiling, I guarantee it, uh, holding up comic books. So, p- please. And, yeah, just buy books. They're great. Yes, yeah, so I just want to say I'm just so thankful that I, my job is to sell people art. That's kind of cool. Yeah. Oh, I think that's the pull quote. Thank you, John. My pleasure. And to my listeners, to my listeners, um, other upcoming stuff includes Doom Patrol season two coverage. Um, I have another interview with a really cool critic, Matt Perpetua, uh, who I'll be speaking with tomorrow. Um, the uh, an episode about the COVID comics comics. I'll finally be doing the Daredevil and Nocenti JRJR Daredevil deep dive run we've been talking about. And um, also interested in things that you might pitch me. So you know how to find me on Twitter. E-L-A-N-A underscore Brooklyn. That's Ilana underscore Brooklyn. Remember this comics podcast is part of the graphic policy universe of comics coverage. Uh, So you should definitely go and get your comics news and reviews from Graphic Policy, a site that actually gives a fuck about legitimate comics journalism and like holding people accountable for abuse and whatnot. And also it has tons of really interesting people giving you different reviews and takes on the books of the day. Oh, gosh. I also, I guess by this point, it'll probably, by the time you hear this, it'll probably already have passed. But I'm taking a part in the Jack Kirby 103rd birthday um, streaming festival that the Jack Kirby Museum is hosting. And my segment is being recorded at 1 p.m. Eastern on Sunday. Uh, and other people who are going to be on this Jack Kirby live stream are people who you've heard of and care about. Um, <laughs> such folks as, like, Eric Larson, um, Rob Liefeld, and, like... I, I know, I'm a little bit like, wait, what? This is happening. Um, Jamal Ingle, who is amazing. And um, and Mike Royer and various members of the Kirby family. So even if you're like, don't care about having me talk to you about Jack Kirby again and again, but you should, because that's what I like to do. Uh, you should definitely check out the Jack Kirby Museum's live streams. They're going to all be on their YouTube and their Facebook, so you can check in on any time. It's an amazing resource and really great conversation. As we like to say on the podcast, 